Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Today is going to be a really fun topic to dive into. It's a little more maybe like the 301 level versus 101 level in the sense that what we're talking about today is what are the growing pains when scaling from your part-time side hustle coaching business to a full-time coaching business? So this is something that hopefully most, if not all of you, if you want to be a full-time financial coach, will want to have, yeah, we'll get to at some point in time, right? Where you are, have a business that has gotten to that, a pretty solid side hustle. And you're wondering, okay, at what point can I actually transition into a full-time coaching business? What are things I need to be aware of before I do that? What are warning signs that maybe I shouldn't do that? So we're going to dive into that today. Perfect. So yeah, where would you like to start? We have two main questions that were upvoted in the poll. Um, Usually we like to start with a little overview. So I imagine that's where you're going to start. Let's see how good I am. Probably. All right. You are are (laughs) nailing it. It's going to say human or humans are pattern recognition machines. And so yes. if you do it week after week, it's going to be easy for me to pick up on. Especially when the pattern is as obvious as mine is with regards to that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so from a big picture perspective, when we talk about going full time, it's important to realize that what you are not replacing is an income. And that's probably the biggest mistake that small business owners make when they start a side business and they switch over to a um, to doing the business full time. Is they view it as, oh, once I replace my income, then I can go full time. Hmm. But you're not replacing an income. You're replacing a job. And your job is much more than your income. <laughs> Correct. As you saw my finger, it's like, it's going to be income. It's going to be benefits. It's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the, the big mistake that people make is they make an overly simplistic determination on this. And, uh, the, the number one comment when I work with clients on this, when we talk about, okay, can we quit the job and switch over to this, uh, full time? Uh, the number one comment I get is, holy crap, I didn't realize how much went into what I'm going to have to replace for my business. And so probably the biggest mistake and the biggest thing to watch out for is not just to look at your gross annual salary and say, once my business hits that number, I can then, or once my business is on track to hit that number, I can then safely quit. The second biggest mistake that people make is thinking that they're going to be able to replace their job within a reasonable time period without taking a leap of faith. So these are kind of opposite sides of the spectrum, right? Yeah. 
So in the first one, I said, I effectively said, you are looking at your income from your business being far too low in order to replace your job because you need a lot more income from your business. I was totally guilty of that when I, when I took my first sleep. Yep. Yeah. And the other side of the spectrum is you're probably not going to get your business to grow to that level within a reasonable period of time without pulling all your hair out. If you don't jump before it actually gets to that level. And so there's a big balancing act between realizing that I've got a lot more that I have to replace and I can't get my business to that point. Well, generally, most people can't get to the, that business at that point without going and committing to it full time. And so the question becomes, when does that tipping point happen? Yeah. Right. And I, I can imagine that um, in what you said, it's like, I know when I originally took the leap to um, start, well, co-found my first business, EMW Music Group. Yeah, I just wasn't totally aware of all of the um, benefits, you know, so it wasn't like you said, just income, right? What were the benefits that I got? What were the other things I need to replace? So even just that first step is super helpful, I would say, you know, just to, to be aware of what that is. So even if, like you said, you aren't making that much before you take that leap of faith, Mm -hmm. at least you're aware of what you do need to replace rather than just like jumping blindly, which is unfortunately, you know, what I did that first time around. Yeah. And some of the stuff that you need to replace is going to be pretty easy to figure out, right? Yeah. You contact HR and you say, what are my benefits? And you, okay, I've got health insurance. I've got the fact that the company administers and matches a 401k. Maybe I want to replace that. Maybe I don't. Um, Disability insurance, which becomes a bigger deal when you're working for yourself. Yeah. Um, It's also should be calculated differently when you're working for yourself than when you're working for someone else. So it's a completely different calculation. Uh, You've got um, and all the other benefits that go along with it and determining which ones do I need and which ones can I responsibly go without? And the word responsibly go without is really important. There. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I imagine if you are, have a really good healthcare plan, like mm-hmm. you as a teacher have a very good healthcare plan yeah. and your spouse or children are covered under that healthcare plan, what that's going to cost in the open market is probably going to be $53. I know that off the top of my head because that's things that we look at <laughs> in our family. That is a huge amount, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. M- monthly. That, that wasn't an annual cost. That was a monthly cost. I'm uh, sure yeah. most people figured that out, but just in case. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are things that are really, um, that are really easy to, to kind of look at and figure out which category does it go into. There are other things that are a little more complex to figure out, but still researchable. So for example, as an employer, well, mm-hmm. let me take a step As an employee, your employer and you both pay into Social Security on your behalf. Specifically, almost half of it is paid by your employer, and a little over half of it is paid by you. The calculation is a little complex, but we'll call it 50 50. For all for intents and purposes, sake. yeah, we'll do 50 yeah. 50. Yeah. So just to simplify it, 50 50. 
when you go to business for yourself, you are paying both sides of that equation. And a lot of people don't think about the fact that their taxes are going to go up, not because their income taxes are going to go up. That doesn't change at all yeah. because their social security taxes, they're paying both sides of the equation. And that is oftentimes, well, I would say it's 90% of the time in my experience of working with entrepreneurs and with students, an unwelcome surprise the first time they file taxes as an entrepreneur. Did that happen to you as well? Oh my gosh. We're just <laughs> yeah. like, and realizing that, especially for some of those, it's like that it's not, um, what is it called? A, I literally was just reading this in my personal finance textbook and studying for the AFC, um, but it's not necessarily done at the same progressive rate that your other taxes are. Right. Either. <laughs> so it's like this extra 7.65 or whatever the exact number percent is, like this is on most, if not all everything. of the- yeah, yeah, of the income. It's it's not progressive at all. 6.4 is on most, but all. 2.3 is on all, right? There's a whole bunch of different parts of it that, yeah. Yeah, but again, for all intents and purposes, like you're paying all of that 7.65% on almost all, Every you know, time. except for uh, some deductions or exemptions or exclusions. But like, yeah, and that was a yeah. huge, where it's just like, well, that was an extra three or $4,000 that I didn't expect. So yeah, huge kick in the pants. Yeah. And the, the thing about Social Security that people have to realize is Social Security is means tested and it is a very progressive program, but it's progressive on the benefit payout side. That's where all the progressive nature of it is. It's not on the taxation side. Yeah. And so while, yes, it is extraordinarily progressive. Yes, it is an extraordinary means tested. It doesn't feel that way when you're paying into it. It feels that way to an enormous degree when you're receiving it at, at the end of your life, because that's what Social Security is designed for is the end of your life. Yeah. Right. Good call. Um, and so, yeah, that's that, it's a big surprise for people. <laughs> OK, yeah. so that's researchable, right? The seven right. point or that seven, eight yeah. percent ish tax. Um, what else? And there's other things along those lines that are also going to be researchable. And then there are things that are squishy that are really hard to research but are still super valuable okay. these are things like when the economy drops and your company's income drops by 20 percent your salary doesn't change because the the company's balance sheet is the first to absorb that hit mm. right yeah that's not the case with your business. With your business, you are your company, whether it's a C corporation and there's two separate legal entities or not, it is your balance sheet that absorbs that 20% drop and ultimately ends up being your income that has to absorb that 20% cut. And that is a huge, huge thing that people don't consider is that there is no completely separate third-party company whose balance sheet is going to absorb that, that impact if things slow down. What I would say, speaking from my experience personally, is I, I knew that to be true, but I didn't necessarily have a system set up to help me weather as well those yeah. ups and downs. Um, so like having a business um, variable income account to start where it's like, okay, after, uh, if I make more than this, I set some money aside. If I make less mm -hmm. than that, I can pull it from here so that I do have a steady salary to start. Even if that salary is, you know, 
$2,000 a month. Right. Start again. Yeah. And so that's, those are the things on the side of make sure that you realize you're replacing a job. And, yeah. you know, we obviously didn't go through everything in all three of those categories. There's a whole bunch more that we did not talk about because that's not the time. We don't have the time for it. Yeah. And most people, their eyes would glaze over. Um, but kind of think through all of the, those different elements when you think about the idea of replacing a job. Okay. The next thing is, okay, so now I figure out that in order to replace my job of, we'll put it at $50,000 to make the math easy, okay. I'm going to need my business to have gross profit. So after all my major expenses for the business of $100,000, twice as much money. Okay. Um, by the way, don't just apply that math blindly. We are using this purely for uh, example, but you will be surprised that it's a lot larger a percentage increase than you think it is right now. I was going to say why, you know, just quickly, why did you go with a 100% increase, right? Double the number. Because I know that you can get by on less. You can... Mm -hmm. I initially survived on less. So I'm assuming knowing you that there's a reason why you kind of gave that higher number. Because it is probably going to be closer to the 100% than to 10%. I mean, you're going to lose, you're going to, you've got 8% of your salary. So remember what we have to get to is 100%. So a 10th of that 100% increase yeah. is already done by social security. Right. Right. It's a little bit less than that, but we're rounding for purposes. Right. If you're talking about healthcare, in the example that I just gave with my family, if you if you got a family, you might be close to twenty four thousand dollars in healthcare alone. Yeah, it right. hopefully would be less if you're. Well, it depends on how much of your income you're like. You know, um, if you're eligible for subsidies or not, depending right. at how high your previous income was that you needed to replace but it can yeah. vary a lot for sure. Yeah. Um, so we can get to, right. And that, so healthcare alone could be theoretically 50% of that $50,000 number. So now we're up to almost 60%. We've only got another 40% to go with all the other stuff that we just talked about. Got it. Um, and so it's, and I'm not saying that you have to earn a hundred thousand dollars a year in order to have $50,000 take home. Well, actually, Actually, what I was thinking too is maybe this is for a different conversation, but having enough gross income or income coming in so that you can invest in the business um, and don't yeah. take so much out of it that you limit how quickly you can grow it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely part of that soft thing, but not really replacing a job, but kind of strategically yeah. thinking about what is the growth plan for the business. Again, that's a completely separate discussion. <laughs> um. And so it's going to be hard to grow a business to $100,000 in income just, again, just to have a number to, to talk about, right? Not, that's not saying that your number is going to be that. For sure. But it's going to be hard to do a couple hours a night and one day on the weekends. Yeah. Right. And so at some point, well before you get to the number where you can replace your job, you're going to have to be able to say, all right, I've got, I've got to make the leap and go full time. And hopefully I've got a long enough runway, enough savings 
to pay for all of these additional personal expenses that I'm going to incur uh, in order to be able to cover that gap between the two, right? So again, just for the purposes of having example numbers, yeah. you know, if your business has gotten to $60,000 a year and the number you need to replace your job is $100,000 a year, right? Yep. And these numbers may be way higher than anyone needs listening to this, right? We're, I'm using these numbers because they're round numbers. <laughs> yeah. Um, then if it's gotten to $60,000 a year, that may, and you've got enough saved up to last you for another year or two, just without any income from the business, then that might be sufficiently safe to say, okay, I'm going to make this jump. I've got a year of working in this business full time to go from 60,000 to 100,000 yeah. or whatever your number is. And based on the trajectory the business is going, based on the number of prospects that I've had to turn away because I don't have time, based on all these different factors, that year should be sufficient. Yeah. I was going to ask how much runway you generally would recommend for people, uh, yeah. but also realizing that it's very dependent on how far along the business is. For example, yes. I've shared this in my story that I had about a year's yeah. runway if I made zero dollars mm -hmm. um, when I first started my business. So from day one, I had you know enough to last me for a whole year, but also I had no experience in the financial services industry and I was just starting my financial coaching business. So that runway went quick. Yeah. And so it's like, well, a runway for someone who hasn't tested the business yet who doesn't have consistent clients source coming in, who, like you said, where the barrier isn't, I don't have enough time, mm -hmm. right? Like I had all the time in the world, but no clients to start. So, right. yeah, I, I was going to ask you that question, but also realizing that like, it really depends on where you're starting from. Yeah, yeah. Is your business starting from scratch? Do you have any experience in the industry? Do you have any experience running your own business? These things will definitely impact it. Yeah, but still, I'm going to ask you what you would recommend anyway. So here, here are my off-the-cuff numbers. The real numbers for people would be a complete, you know, you. Of course. I, I do this with clients where we do an entire financial plan. We look at the records of the business. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. But from a good gut number, yeah. if you're starting from scratch, two years is the bare minimum. Three years is a much better number to work with. So that is assuming you can pay for your lifestyle expenses for two years, bare minimum, three years. God, I wish I would have done that when I started. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. That's all right. Um, and, you know, for, for perspective, for people who think, oh, that's crazy, you know, I, I, I'm sure I'll be able to grow the business faster than that. XYPN has research on thousands of advisors who left their jobs doing the exact job that they started their business doing. So going from a financial advisor at a company with clients that they took with them and starting their own financial advisory business. So we're talking about, yes, you're starting from scratch, but you're starting from scratch with like day one, you bring in a bunch of clients from your old job and you've been doing this for a number of years and you're used to out pro being out prospecting. I mean, you're huge benefits. Right. And 
the statistics are it takes between two and a half and three years for the advisor to get back to their original income level that they were when they left their job at the legacy firm. Yeah, all, uh, all those I, advantages. I was actually listening to this on the drive back uh, from California to Tucson over mm -hmm. the holidays, that episode, and I'll try and find it and just post it in the comments because it's really interesting where I think you're yeah. right. It's like year one was something like $10,000, 10 yeah. to $15,000, depending on whether you were niche down or not. I think year two yeah. was somewhere in between like in the 30s, um, either high 20s or low 40s, again, depending if you were niche down or not. And then year three was kind of getting back into that $80,000 number, which is more around where people yeah. had started from. But that also doesn't include money that you're investing to start the business either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just something to keep in mind. So if, you, if you've got a huge advantage, yeah. two to three years is realistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're not now saying mind this you, to like scare you, right? This is not right. to, to scare you. But I think, you know, me, us having experience doing this, it's like, please don't fall into the trap. I know certainly coming from my own experience that I did. Don't go through yeah. the same uh, stress and anxiety that I did by being underprepared and underplanned yeah. in that space. And when we present challenges, it's important to realize that these are not challenges that say, oh, entrepreneurship is bad. You shouldn't do it. We obviously don't believe that. That's the whole point of FCN is to help people with entrepreneurship and starting the financial coaching businesses. But it is important that you go into it with a healthy understanding of what your expectations should be and not what people sell as, you know, start a business, you'll be a millionaire tomorrow. And I can't, I can't believe how many ads there are on YouTube of, oh, yeah, I started this business yesterday and I'm making $450,000 last week. And all I have to do is sit down and watch TV, which is a complete lie. But, you know. The, but all of that being said, um, though, so that's the number if you're starting from scratch. Okay. If you're starting with a really good head start, right? Meaning you've been doing this as a side gig, maybe you're halfway to the number that you need to replace your job. Then I would want to have a year still because when you quit your job and you do this full time, you are going to spend the first three months not doing very much productive at all. Hmm. Why do you say uh, that? Yes, you'll still work with clients. Yes, you'll still bring in some prospects. But you'll basically make about the same amount of progress with your business as you would have if you still had your full-time job and weren't doing anything else. Because when you don't have a boss telling you, hey, have you got this project done or anything else? Uh, it'll get about three months for you to get into the rhythm of not having your kids interrupt you, of actually working during certain tier periods of time, of not while you're typing something out going, ah, I'll see what's on YouTube real quick. You know, I just want a two second break and then 12 minutes later, right? Yeah. Yep. And I'm being generous with 12 minutes. <laughs> uh, the... And so about three months is going to be basically about the same level of productivity that you're going to have if you were doing it, continuing to do it part-time. Then you're going to have another three to six months of shiny dog 
uh, uh, sorry, shiny object syndrome. <laughs> I was like, show me the shiny, shiny dog. dog. Yeah. I've never heard of that. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, but of just, oh, wow, this would be a great idea for advertising. Someone told me this. And then you spend a few hours looking at that because now you are doing it full time. I've got to spend my time doing something productive. And you're bouncing from opportunity to opportunity, opportunity. And this is why launch is so prescriptive, yeah. right? It's do this, do this, do this, partially because, yeah, there are a bunch of other good things you could do. And most of them are going to have very low returns until you get to a certain level in your business. And so you just don't want to spend your time doing things that are not high return, high value things. And you'll have about three to six months of that. Ideally, that window gets shortened a lot if you're going through launch and just following the directions. Um, but it's still going to take a little while to get your habits in, in good place. And that leaves us with three to six months at the end of the first year of actually productive full-time pushing your business forward. Yeah, sounds pretty accurate. That's like yeah. the part about going full time and being like, I don't know how this works. How do I manage my own time? What does this look like? All of that. It's bringing back not so fond memories of uh, <laughs> kind of bouncing all over the place. Yeah. Whew. Okay. So thinking uh, that's helpful. So people kind of know what to expect. Yeah. And again, these are uh, rough numbers, two to three years if they're starting from scratch. Um, one, and when you say one year, do you mean one year if the business made zero income, one year assuming the business makes what it's making from at that point in time? I'm assuming the business makes zero income because I have to calculate. And like I said, this is a, a, a gut thing, a, a rule of thumb. Um, and I have, I, I have to factor in not just the fact that you have to replace some of your income and benefits and everything else. I also have to factor in a an extra pool of money to compensate for the risk that the economy changes in the next year, and so prospects are harder to find. Um, to compensate for the risk that you might lose a couple of of prospects for whatever reason, and so there's these risks that are a lot more difficult that are that have much more difficult, compl uh, complicated calculations associated with them to be able to assign a numeric value to the risks. Yeah. And so I have to expand it to make sure that we've covered those risks as well, because we are not doing any of those calculations right now. We're giving a rule of thumb, which one size fits all fits about as well as it does with clothing. <laughs> True. Uh, and again, so. just being aware of these generalities may be mm -hmm. more than people have thought of. I certainly know. Hi, for me, wherever my hand is in the frame here. Uh, were things I hadn't fully thought through. So right. it can just be a starting point for people. Things I hadn't fully thought through in my first few businesses either. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, by the time you're on what, number nine or number 11 now, you know, you have this figured out. 14. <laughs> yeah. You have a problem. Yeah. If we include, if we include my nonprofit. Fair enough. Just Which as a, as a it's qualifier. A yeah. It's a nonprofit business. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so this is good kind of covering, I think we did a pretty good job of covering, you know, when do I know I can quit my job and go full time? It's being aware of 
all of those different factors, how much you need to replace in terms of not just income, but benefits as well, how much right. runway to have saved, have money also set aside to be able to cover investing in your business to help it continue to grow. Um, the other question that came up, what, or is there anything you want to add to that before we move I was going to say, and keep in mind, your number may be higher or maybe much lower than this, depending on a whole bunch of different factors, right? If you have the option of moving out of your apartment and back in with your parents, as well as other factors related to your business, the number may be lower than that. Right. Like if you have a spouse who has, makes a really good full-time living and can cover most of the expenses. Yeah. So that's the problem with one size fits all is that it doesn't. Right. Um, So we're, we're working with what a typical average person might, might need with a whole bunch of different factors thrown in. Good caveat. And again, I think that just giving people uh, some things to start thinking about can then help them figure out, okay, well, yeah, what they said in that instance doesn't fit me, but here's how I can tailor it a bit better. Exactly. Then I think some of these actually are covered by what we said, but Mm -hmm. what are signs that I shouldn't go full time? Um, Probably the biggest sign that you shouldn't go full time is um, is when you feel like you don't have another choice. Hmm. Right. Uh, anytime you're put in a position where you feel like your choices are limited, and that for whatever reason, whether it's because you hate your job because you are worried that your company is going to lay you off because whatever else. When you feel like, well, my only choice to solve problem X is to go full time. That's a really big red flag that you could be putting yourself, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire type thing. Gotcha. Um, It's, you don't want to solve problems with hopes and dreams. And I'm not saying that your business success is a hope and a dream, but when you feel like you have no other choice, that's what it tends to amount down to. Right. Gotcha. Um, And you, you know, you may be in a position where you kind of don't have a choice actually, right? There's a term for people who lost their job. They can't find another job. And so they start a business. They're called reluctant entrepreneurs. So there's actually a, an academic term for a technical term for that idea, but you want to be very slow about moving forward when that's part of your thinking. Got it. Um, another thing is if there is significant ambiguity or risk going on in your personal life. So for example, if major changes have happened in your personal life, if your spouse's industry has had a significant hit to it, right? Like the restaurant industry right right now, right? Um, Well, that just ratcheted up the risk on part of your income. And that may be something where we need to see how things play out a little bit before taking this jump. Um, Any major life events would be bad to go full time around, right? So 
just getting pregnant, just getting married, a death of a close family member, right? Those all things could be things where you want to take a step back. Um, and then lastly, uh, looking at it from the perspective of how are my prospects going, right? Um, and this is kind of a broader concept of, we talked about trying to solve problems in your life by starting a business, or your, right? Yeah. Make sure that going full time is not trying to solve a problem in the business. So if you're having trouble bringing in prospects and, and increasing the number of prospects you bring in on a monthly basis, don't assume that the problem is I don't have enough time to do this. And so therefore, if I jump to going full time, that means that I'll be able to bring in more prospects, right? Um, and so if going full time is not a, I need more time to take advantage of the opportunities that are coming, but it's, this must be the way to solve the problems that I'm seeing in the side business. That's a big red flag as well. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is not uh, only time that will yeah. lead to results. Uh, I know that um, that's one of the money beliefs that I've had ingrained in me is like hard work. Like you have to work hard to make money or to make enough money. And, and I think there is certainly some truth to that in certain instances. And also as an entrepreneur, I think it is um, less and less true <laughs> in the sense that um, if only I had more time, right, I will make more money. Right. I will say that you definitely have to work hard in order to make money, especially as an entrepreneur, you will work hard. But working hard is not sufficient by itself. <laughs> Thank you. That is a good clarification. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be a mixture of a bunch of different things, um, including what are you working hard on? Are you working hard on the right things? Or are you jumping from blog article idea to blog article idea to try and figure out what's going to work? Yeah. Or hey, I'm going to do a newsletter, but also I should start doing a podcast. And hey, I heard that social media is a thing. You know, as you said, the shiny dog syndrome, which yeah. I'm not going to just use that analogy. <laughs> yeah. uh, shiny dogs are so much better than objects. Right? I agree. Just shiny <laughs> puppies. Um, yeah, that's something I totally experienced because I had a lot of time and didn't have a lot of experience. I spent a lot of time doing things that weren't that helpful. Whereas if I was actually more limited on my time, I may have spent less time jumping from thing to thing to start. Cool. Uh, anything else that you want to share that we haven't necessarily covered? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot. We sure did. <laughs> yeah. So okay. thanks as always. This is super fun and something, my gosh, I wish that I had known <laughs> before I started my business, whatever, five and almost a half years ago. Yeah. So, and me, me too, uh, when I started my first couple of businesses, <laughs> believe me, I can imagine. And thanks everyone. And thanks everybody. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the financial coaches network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. So you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, 
who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall there if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.